great pr uh, pleasure, really, to bring a message this morning, and it's really good that we're talking about provision for the vision, and Pastor Mark and Nina have said to, you know, really pray into what we're, um, we're going to give in that vision, because my, my whole message is, is about prayer. Um, I am by no means um, a, a speaker who is able to, like, kind of get you rolling in the aisles or anything like that. I'm kind of like the kind of person who is taking the Bible and figuring out how do we even make this thing work in our lives tomorrow, today, next week, when we're really, really needing something from God. How do we actually figure this out? What does it mean to us and make it applicable? So I wanted to, um, to speak this morning on praying like Jesus. Now, that's a, a pretty lofty target and a pretty lofty example to be, to be going after. But the Bible tells us in, in the Gospels uh, a way that he, Jesus himself told his disciples how to pray. So I believe that we can look at that this morning. I believe that we can read it, have a look into it, deep dive into it a little bit and see what is going on with that and how we can maybe effectively pray uh, better or more. But can I, can I be honest with you just right from the start? Is it okay to be honest in church? Is that all right? Just a little confession time if that's all right. Um, if I'm completely honest with myself and with you, um, my prayer life sometimes leaves a lot to be desired. Is there anybody with me or am I the only really bad Christian in the entire room and every single Christian watching online, you're all just better than me. Sometimes our prayer lives just lack something, don't they? Um, sometimes we can uh, find it pretty difficult to pray. Other times it's darn near impossible to pray. Sometimes the thing that we're praying about is just so big that we feel paralyzed in our prayer. So this morning, I just want to talk about prayer and just come from the perspective of this. We are doing better than we think. Just say that with me. You are doing better than you think. On three. One, two, three. You are doing better than you think. Because every single one of us, at some point, whether it's right now, in the future, or in the past, will have been sat there thinking, my prayer life is not great. I need to be doing better. I should be doing better. And in fact, sometimes we can go to uh, the, the, the Christian bookshop of choice, Kurong. Other bookshops are available. Don't worry. But you can go to Kurong and you can see shelves like this. The necessity of prayer. The secret power of prayer. My goodness. Miracles happen when you pray. What else is up there? Power through prayer. And this one, too busy not to pray. Well, who doesn't know that they're too busy already? And going into a bookshop and seeing it's just a shelf upon shelf upon shelf of books that are there to help us out, when in actual fact what they end up doing is just making us feel guilty, don't they? We look at the books and we're like, do you know what? I need to find more time to pray. Do you know what? Miracles aren't happening when I pray. Maybe I need to buy this book. Well, maybe, maybe you just need to cut yourself a little bit of slack, give yourself a little bit of grace, and let's have a look and see what Jesus tells us about prayer as we go into this. All the way through Bible college, we had prayer meetings. 
We had, uh, we had 24-7 prayer. We, we had conferences where we spent the entire conference just praying. I, I'm pretty sure that I've, I've, if I've not read the book, then I know the, the, the sort of premise of the book of every book on prayer. I can tell you what it says. I know a fair amount about prayer, but my prayer life still lacks sometimes. And yours does too, no doubt. When I, when I try and pray, when I, when I sit on my own and have a quiet time, a dedicated moment where I'm in God's presence and I'm just wanting to seek his face and pray, I find that my mind just goes a million miles an hour in the opposite direction. Is there anybody else that feels, I think we should all be tested for ADHD. It feels that in that moment, my mind just starts tick, 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 and I'm thinking about everything else other than what I wanted to actually pray about. Sometimes I find that the best times of prayer that I've had have been in corporate settings where I'm surrounded by other people who are also praying, but I'm able to just kind of zone in and focus in on, on God in that moment. And if you've been to the 515 prayer meeting that we have here at the Warner location of an evening, then you'll know what I mean. Sometimes it's just great to be in the presence of other people, but still in the presence of your God. Sometimes I feel as well in my own life, my prayer life can become a little bit monotonous. I try and, uh, I try and make it not so, but who, who here says grace before their meal? It's okay, you can put your hand up, it's all good. I don't have a water gun and I'm gonna squirt you or something like that. Sometimes we say grace and we say the same grace every time before every meal. And I'm not bagging out on that at all. Please hear me. That's a good thing to do, especially when we're teaching children how to give thanks to God for the provisions that he has. But sometimes our prayer life can become a little bit as monotonous as saying the same grace over and over and over. Sometimes we get bored ourselves of our prayer lives. Is there any, are we relating together this morning? Are we, are we on the same kind of page? Is there anybody else that's in the same boat as me that, hey, my prayer life is not top notch and I need to maybe do something else? We find that this isn't even a modern day problem. Jesus and his disciples had this issue, which is why we're gonna come to the Bible in a second. But we can read the Bible and we can see men of power, of prayer throughout the Bible. King David was a man who met God regularly. His Psalms that we read are actually records of his prayer life. How amazing is that? How in context does that put your prayer life? Daniel was a man of prayer. The Apostle Paul spent time in prayer so much that we read the account that in a moment of prayer and worship in prison, the shackles fell off of his feet and he was freed from those bondages whilst praying. That hasn't happened to me, I don't know about you. I know that as good Jews, the disciples, Jesus' friends, his followers, as good Jewish guys, they would have known about prayer. They would have prayed regularly, they would have prayed consistently, they would have gone to the temple frequently and prayed. But Jesus, in the passage that we're about to read, 
completely changes the paradigm, their thought pattern, their, their process of what prayer is. Let's have, a, let's have a read. It says this in Matthew chapter 6. It's coming up on the screen. It says this, And when you pray, Jesus' words, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It would all be fairly familiar with this prayer, would, I, would it be right in saying that this is not the first time that you've heard or read this prayer? But I believe that there's something that we can actually dig into it and pull something out that will help us in our prayer lives. So let's start with the first line. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This was pretty scandalous for Jews to be saying. From a Jewish perspective, what they had understood and how they lived their lives of, of worshiping God was that he was above everything. He was over everything. He was so uh, removed from their day-to-day -day life that calling God Father would have just completely messed with their entire methodology of life, never mind prayer. The familiarity of calling their God Father would have just completely messed them up. It says this in Romans 8, that we did not receive a spirit that gives you, uh, but, did, but we did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. When we become Christians, we become sons. We're adopted into God's family. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. As a father, Jesus was teaching these men that their God, their father was close to them. He was present with them. He was intimately involved in their lives. But sadly, in, in our society, father figures have been much maligned. Father figures have been, uh, have been denigrated and, and have been put down in society, in media, and, and sometimes with good reason. There, there are many instances of abuse and marriage breakdowns that happen, and that does a lot of harm to the image of fatherhood. But we need to be careful not to ascribe our worldly 
perspective, our worldly vision of what fatherhood and who our father is, and not give that and put that onto our heavenly father, because he is the perfect perspective of that. He is our perfect father. He's a dad who seeks to be near us. Now, my dad was by no means the perfect model of fatherhood. There are many instances that I could tell you, many stories that I could share that that would just attest to the fact that he could have done better. But I know from a worldly perspective, my father did the best that he could with what he had available to him. But that's not the same as our heavenly father. Our father in heaven is perfect. He is above all of those things. He is not lacking in any area. And this was what Jesus was telling his disciples to to pray to your father who is near and is perfect. Because while he is our dad, he is transcendent above everything. He is over everything in our lives. He's in heaven. We are here on earth. But he's our father and he is close to us. Now, I've read a few things about heaven You read it in the Bible, you read Revelation, it sounds like a pretty good place. I want to walk on the streets of gold. I fancy seeing those literal pearly gates. But our Father doesn't just stay there in heaven, removed from us. Even though it's so perfect, it would be good. But he comes from that place of perfection, that place of purity, that place of power from heaven that allows us to have a vision of what we can reach towards. More than being perfect, Jesus tells us to pray that hallowed be your name. Hallowed literally is to make something holy. So in in first instance, we're saying, God, you're my father, and I make your name holy. Now, the name of God is not used in a holy manner in a lot of people's mouths. The name of Jesus is a, is, a, is a curse word on many people's lips. And we are called to live a different life than that as followers of Jesus. We are called to make the name of God holy here on earth, to make it known in its proper sense here on earth. So that's the first line of this prayer. It's not just a simple case of, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's deeper meaning, there's deeper instances behind it. Second line is this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think perhaps these are some of the hardest words to pray that Jesus tells us about. Because what it's talking about here is your kingdom come, the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. But if we look at that in its actuality, what that really means is our kingdom, our desires, our wishes, our wants, our preferences going by the wayside, being put aside so that God's kingdom can come, so that his will would be done on earth. This starts in our hearts. It's a heart action that we need to make. When we come to Jesus, when we become a Christian, when we start this journey of faith, 
what we're really saying to God is, I give you my everything. I give you my life. I give you my future. I give you my past because I can't deal with that. I'm asking you to take control of this. And when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's a continuation of that. It's a daily act of handing over our wills, handing over our desires, handing over our future to God. Because when God comes into our lives, he expects to rule. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He doesn't come into our lives and expect to be the passenger going along for the ride. He is the king of our lives. There's an old saying that's that's before my time, but it's, it's very, very true that he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. This, as we pray this, and as Jesus was teaching the disciples, and as, as, as we go into tomorrow and we think about your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's a reminder to put Jesus on the throne of our lives. Secondly, praying this is praying that his rule, praying that God's rule is extended into every part of the earth. John 6, 40 says this, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. God's will is that people would be saved. God's will is that his kingdom would be extended and populated and hell would be plundered. That's his will. God made heaven and earth not to uh, just just have have a jolly place to go on holiday. He made heaven and earth as a place to be filled with his children. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is our way of partnering with God in saying, I will extend your kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. It's about that that community being expanded in our lives. So can you see that this prayer, which we can sometimes just repeat, actually has an evangelistic perspective to it as well. It's helping us to understand that it's not just about us. There've been many people throughout history, and I count myself as one of them, who've only made themselves available to God when it doesn't cause too much of an imposition. When I left Bible college, um, I, had, I had been to Australia once as a backpacker for a month and then swore that I was never coming back again. Sorry, any natural Australians here in the building, I hated the country, couldn't stand it. Came from, came from the UK um, and it was wet, windy and rainy. Arrived in Australia and it was wet, windy and rainy. And I thought to myself, why have I traveled across to the other side of the planet and nothing has changed? Because in truth, I was actually running away from a lot of stuff back in the UK. And I was chasing a girl to the other side of the planet, thinking that this was going to be the change that I needed in my life. But nothing had changed because everything came with me. But when I went to Bible college, I told God, God, I will go anywhere. I will do anything you want. But please, can it be on the south coast of England in Plymouth? Because I really like the place. And I want to be a surfer. (laughs) Yeah. I grew my hair to be a surfer. There is photographic evidence on Facebook. Um, but so I told God, it was like, God, I will go anywhere. I will do anything. I will serve you in any capacity whatsoever, so long as it fits 
into this box. And then, years later, I get a call to come to Australia, the place that I had told God I would never go to. Sometimes we, uh, we, we place these barriers, these boundaries, these bumpers around the will of God and around what he wants for our lives, don't we? But when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the barriers are off. The bumpers need to come down. We are giving it over to him. How many of us prayed this morning that there would be food in our cupboards for breakfast? No. We all just kind of got up this morning, went to the cupboards and got our wheat bakes, didn't we? We didn't have to pray for that because God had provided everything that we needed. We need to trust him with those things. And that leads us into the next line. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus included the daily needs, wants, and desires of his followers, as included in this prayer. He was saying to his disciples, don't worry about what's going to come. Don't worry about what's in the past. Do not worry about what you need because God will provide what you need right when you need it. But here's a few things that I, that I noticed maybe, maybe would be interesting to you. Jesus didn't pray that they would have a five-year plan, that in five years' time that they would be all set and secure and that everything would be hunky-dory. He didn't tell them everything that was going to happen in advance. He just said to give us today our daily bread. He doesn't even pray and tell the disciples to pray to, to you know, make sure that their trip next week is going to go okay. He just said, give us today our daily bread. Jesus example of just providing that daily sustenance is exactly what we need as an antidote for anxiety. It's an antidote for comparison. It's an antidote for many modern maladies. Because when we rely fully, daily on God, it takes away that need for striving. It takes away that need for, for effort and, and I need to work to make this happen because it comes from him. That example of how many of, you, of, us, of, of us woke up and went to the cupboard and, and prayed over the cupboard, God, God, please let there be cornflakes. Please, no, because we have worked, we've done a job and we've bought the food and it's all there and ready. But, but how many of us recognize that God gave us the job in the first place? How many of us recognize on a daily basis, thank you, God, that you have given me everything I need? Before I even ask, you've provided the gifts, the talents, and the abilities in order so that I can go out and buy food, in order so that I can go out and be able to provide for my family. Through this prayer, Jesus is encouraging a humility amongst the disciples. And I believe that it's a call for us to be humbled again in his presence. Even for the mundane and normal things in life, it's something that we need to give thanks to God for. Fourth line, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven 
our debtors. The first thing that we're saying when we pray this and when we, when we understand it is this, Lord, I'm a sinner. I am in no way, shape, or form on solid ground apart from the ground that you give me. Forgive my debts as those others. There's a, it's, it's interesting, Rachel, you know, in, in, in Rachel's communion message this morning talked about that sometimes we become, become overwhelmed with that thought of, I, I need to, I, I'm just unworthy of receiving the gift of salvation that God has given us. It's, it's incredible to think that I know my past, but God still chose me and gives me a future, a plan, and a purpose. And sometimes there's many religions around the world, and, and there's some aspects of Christianity that has this too, where, where we have to do penance for our sins. That we, uh, you know, we do something wrong and we, we go to confession and we, we sit, in front, sit in the box with the, with the priest and he tells us to do three Hail Marys and four Our Fathers and, and we do all of that and we're all good with God again. When in actual fact, God is just ready for us to come into his presence and it's as simple as admitting the wrong that's been done. In our prayers, we need to regularly admit that we have sinned and ask for that forgiveness from God. Second thing that we're committing to doing in this line is not just praying for our own sins, but praying for those of other people. Recognizing that we have a responsibility in the exchange that happens of forgiveness. But that can be really hard to do, can't it? I won't ask for a show of hands on this, but how many people get really, really frustrated with people cutting them up on the road? I love your candor. <laughs> we have a part to play in the transaction of forgiveness. Here's a little story for you. Corey Ten Boom was a prisoner of war in a German concentration camp during the Second World War. When the war was over, she began traveling and speaking, sharing about Jesus. And then one day, something happened while she was talking, while she was speaking in a church. And it completely shook the very center of who she was. Here are her words. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly, it was all there. The room full of mocking men. The heaps of clothing. Betsy, my best friend's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein. To think, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin in them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. 
I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. I felt nothing, not even the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that this world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. This woman had every human right to stare this man in the face and walk away. By the world's standards, she could, in modern day parlance, he would have been arrested. He would have been up for war crimes. He would have been in prison for the rest of his life because of the acts that he had committed or allowed to commit. But instead, she did the hard work. Recognizing that she could not forgive this man. But that she needed God's power and his strength in order to extend forgiveness to him. It's not just hard to do forgiveness. It's not just hard to do. It's impossible to do on our own. That's why prayer becomes so essential in our lives. That's why Jesus was teaching his disciples this and why we have something to learn from this because it goes in both directions. We have to be able to forgive and when we cannot forgive, when we do not have it in ourselves to do that, we need to be able to access the power of God in order to be able to forgive those people. Coming up to the end, says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a truth that, uh, that has been, it doesn't get talked about massives, massive amounts because it can be taken too far. But we have a spiritual enemy. His name is, 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 is very well known and the Bible tells us that our spiritual enemy is roaring like a lion, just seeking who he can devour. He would seek to destroy us he would seek to put temptation in our way. He would seek to downplay everything that's going on in our lives. But we need to be aware of the fact that we do have an enemy who is against us. We also need to understand not to kind of overplay his hand either because he is not all-powerful. He is not omniscient. He is not everywhere at the same time. Our God is stronger, our God is greater, and the power that is within us is greater than anything that can come against us. When we put our trust and our faith in Jesus, there is no need to be afraid of the enemy. When Satan tempted Jesus, he intended to make him sin. But God intended and used that situation to show that Jesus would not sin and would glorify his Father instead. So we pray, asking God to firstly limit unnecessary temptation, 
but also to bring us through temptation without succumbing to it. Because that's where the power and the testimony is. When the temptation comes, but we get through it. So in conclusion, maybe the band can come. The Lord's Prayer was never meant to become some magic formula that we recite and it fixes everything or, or we just kind of say and it becomes a formulaic ceremonial prayer. It's actually, I believe, a blueprint of the intimate details of what prayer can and should be. And that can help us tomorrow because we are all going to face trials and temptations, whether it's tomorrow, next week, or the week after. If you've not had any trial or temptation, just wait. It's coming. That's the truth. But we have the power in us. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us and to comfort us and to lead us, to help us through these things. Taking all that in mind, we're going to stand together and we're going to speak out this prayer in one voice. I believe there is power in unity when we come together and we do something together. So why don't we stand? It'll be up on the screen in a second. But let's understand what this prayer actually means and, and ask our Father in heaven to help us to understand it, to apply it to our lives for tomorrow, for the following week, for the months and years to come. With understanding that we're talking to our Father. He's in heaven and he is holy. But we're asking him to be the king of our lives and to provide everything that we need to live the lives that he has destined for us. In the knowledge and understanding that we are sinners, saved by grace, and that he is the only one powerful enough to save us from any and all temptation. Let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, I thank you so much that you provide us everything that we need to live a righteous life. You set our feet on the solid foundation that is Jesus. We get to live this life because of what you have done, Lord. And it's not by our strength, it's not by our will or by our might, but it is by you and because of you. And Father, it is for you that we live this life to give you glory, to extend your kingdom, that it would be your will that is done, that it would be your kingdom that would come. Father, help us to seek out and to, to root out any evil that's inside of us, any, any ego or lack of humility that would seek to take the glory or to take the limelight and help us to put it back onto you. In the name of Jesus. That might have been the first time that you've prayed to put God at the center of your life, to put him on the throne of your heart. 
And if that is the case, and if that has spoken to you, then I would really encourage you to come and talk to myself or come and talk to Rachel or Jason or any of the team down at the front here. And we would love to help you and walk you through that journey. Because it is a journey. It's not a one-stop, fixes-all type of thing. We have to go through life constantly handing ourselves over to God. I would really encourage you to go and to read your Bible. I would really encourage you to read those bits that you've read over and over and over and have become so familiar to you and maybe read them with fresh eyes, read them with a fresh perspective, asking God to highlight something new. And lastly, if you would like encouragement in your prayer life or you would like to pray for anything or anybody, as we've already done in the service, maybe you didn't want to come out during worship. We'd love to pray with you this morning. We would love to stand with you and encourage you and, and be beside you as you go through that journey. I would love to uh, just recommend that whatever it is, be humble and come into God's presence and ask him to fix maybe what you can't fix. Thank you.